with that, we turn to the Word of God tonight. Two passages I'd like to draw your attention to. One uh, from our continued study in Jude. We are winding down, but uh, nevertheless, these verses are so powerful, I think, that they need time to, uh, to, to sink in. Verses 22 and 23. Then we'll turn to John chapter 21 and look at verses 15 through 19. So this is the word of God. Have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And then in John chapter 21, this of course takes place after the resurrection, and, uh, and so verse 15. And so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus had said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him again a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my sheep. And he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. Amen. So ends the reading of God's word. Please be seated. Jude writes us to encourage us to, to battle false doctrine. But in that battle, he calls us to show mercy to those who are doubting. What an amazing call that is to help those who are doubting. I, I remember probably going now about 35, 40 years ago, but hearing a sermon in which the preacher there said, you know, the Christian church is the only church that, that shoots its own wounded. And that's, that's a horrible thing. I hope that's not true of us. We are called to help those who are wounded and those who are doubting. Doubt, of course, is one of the strongest things that we all have to fight against, isn't it? And isn't it strange how, how doubt can suddenly come upon us? I mean, on Sundays, we, we come to church and, and we hear the pronouncement of the complete forgiveness of all our sins. We are restored and we're fed by God's word. We have a tremendous fellowship with other believers. We feel that by our faith, we can conquer the world. But then Monday rolls around. <laughs> and, and we're yelling at the guy on the freeway who cut us off. And we're, we're irritated by a co-worker or, or, or boss or, or, or employee. And then following that, it's just one thing after the other. One Failure after the other, one slip up day by day, one dumb thing, one bad word, one evil thought, one struggle against impurity, one bumble after another, and, 
And by Saturday, we feel like, what's the point? Let's just give up. And, and we wonder if God can really love someone like me. Up on Sunday, my Saturday filled with doubt and worry. Now, I know that's just a thing with the regular ebbs and flows of life, but what happens when after months and months and months where the battle never lets up, what happens then? One of the, the worst things about, how, about sin is how it causes us then to, to doubt God's word of promise. And, and I know that each one of us must at least at some time or another wonder how can God, who is so holy, and God who is so righteous and, and so good and so pure, how can such a God as this love something so foul and so filthy and so sinful like me? And, and I, I, I'm quite sure that if you've never asked the question, how can God save me? You've never understood what your sin is. You've never understood what your sin deserves. If you've never struggled with doubt, I, I wonder if you've really been saved. And so again, John, our Jude's call for us is to recall the gospel. To, to think about its, its great power in our lives and, and, and to remember that we're not saved, beloved. We're not saved by our faithfulness, by our good abilities, or by us staying strong and faithful. We're, we're saved purely and simply by the power of God's grace in Jesus Christ. And so tonight I want us to look at this from the perspective of the Apostle Peter. You're very familiar with the whole story of Peter, especially in these last uh, chapters of every gospel. But let's go and look at them. Um, you know, Jesus asked John, I mean, Jesus asked Peter these three questions, do you love me, three times. And he does that because you'll recall that earlier, uh, the, the Last Supper, as it were, they're, they're going to the garden, and, and Jesus says some amazing things to his disciples. And in Matthew 26, for instance, Jesus told them, uh, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Not one of them will stand. That's pretty amazing. All of them will fall away, Jesus said. That's a really quite an amazing, profound statement that Jesus told them. You're all going to fall away because of me. And that's an incredible statement, particularly when you think about the, these disciples. In Luke chapter 22, verse 28, there, uh, that same kind of, that same evening, that same night, uh, as Luke records it, he said uh, to those disciples, you are those who stood by me in my trials. They all went through persecution with Jesus. They, they went through hardships and, and intense difficulties with him. In fact, uh, just a, about a year prior to that Last Supper, Jesus taught the crowds that if anyone eats his flesh and drinks his blood, they will have eternal life. And John mentions there in chapter 6 
how many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And so Jesus turned to the 12 and he asked them that question, are you going to go too? And, and, you know, remember, Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. They were going to stay with Jesus. Everyone else was leaving, but not them. They stood with him. In fact, just a few weeks before that night, there was a word that came to them that their friend Lazarus was sick and Jesus stayed there for another four days. And and finally, Jesus announces that they were going to go back to Judea. They didn't know what was going to happen. Jesus had every intention of raising Lazarus from the dead, and he did. But in John chapter 11, verse 6, it's interesting that uh, as they're walking with Jesus to go back to Bethany, and and, uh, Thomas, who's called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also so that we may die with him. You see, again, uh, these men were ready and willing to die with Jesus. They stayed with him through all his trials and all his difficulties. They proved their faithfulness. They proved their love to him. And so when Jesus said, you will all fall away because of me this very night, you can imagine how confusing. You can imagine their hurt, their utter shock, their disbelief of that word. And so Peter blurts out what all the others were no doubt thinking. Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Lord, I love you so much that I will never fall away from you. I would rather die with you than to forsake you. And of course, he said that because Peter had been a man of faith. And in fact, Jesus had used him on many occasions to accomplish many great things. I mean, Peter walked on water. Peter cast demons out of people. He was one of Christ's closest friends. In fact, he was only one of three people who saw Jesus' glory uh, transform him, transfigure him on that mountain. And so if there was anyone who was going to stand with Peter or with Jesus and die with him, surely it would have been Peter. In fact, going back to Luke chapter 22, we're told there that Peter carried a sword with him. And when the crowds came to arrest Jesus, Peter took that sword. He was going to make good on his promise. Lord, I will die with you. And he takes that sword and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's slave. I mean, Peter was big, he was bold, he was brash. But Peter denied the Lord three times. In fact, he denied the Lord swearing oaths and and, and he cursed. When he saw Jesus arrested and there Jesus stood in his weakness, no doubt he began to wonder, is Jesus really Messiah? I mean, Jesus conquered demons. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. But here he was now, this small, ineffective, weak man. Maybe, maybe we were really wrong about Jesus after all. Oh, you're one of, the, well, you're one of his disciples. No, I'm not. And, and he spoke like any heathen would. 
cursing and swearing he didn't know Jesus. I'm sure that that account is in every gospel because none of us are immune to doubt's poison and none of us can stand up to sin's enticing power. We see this over and over and again in the scriptures. David, the mighty man of faith. David who took down a giant. But David in his treachery committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband murdered. That's one of the great tragedies of redemptive history. Then uh, his son Solomon, when he became king, there was this this moment where he became king and, and the Lord came to him in a vision and, and in a dream. And, and what do you want, Solomon? I'll give you anything you want. And what does Solomon ask for? He chose wisdom over gold and silver and power. What an amazing, what an amazing request that was. Solomon, the wisest man who compromised his faith by marrying foreign women and establishing idols and, and pagan temples. A tragedy. And then we read of Peter. Again, you know, I, I, we all like Peter because he was such a bumble of a man, wasn't he? <laughs> but man, he loved Jesus. He loved Jesus, but then he denies the Lord with curses. And I know I'm not half as strong as David, and I don't have a quarter of Solomon's wisdom, and, and I don't have a tenth of Peter's faith. And if the mighty men of faith can fall into sin and doubt and deny the Lord they love, what hope do I have? In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul there recounts Israel's history where after seeing the mighty arm of God upon the Red Sea and, and delivering his people Israel, and after the people of Israel ate the miracle of manna every day, drinking, drinking water from the rock, still they, they grumbled and they fell into idolatry so that they failed to enter into the promised land because of their fear of giants. And after recounting all that, Paul said, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Paul stood with, with Jew to remind us that none of us are, are so strong that we can overcome sin and doubt on our own. We are born, each and every single one of us, with a corrupted nature. And even though we taste of eternal things and we never intend it to fall away, we can and some do. I'm quite certain that Peter never would have thought in a million years that he would ever deny the Lord. But doubt is a powerful thing, and, and we, unfortunately, are so weak. And we're blind, and we seldom see ourselves as we are until it's too late. Unfortunately, we're all too much like that Pharisee who says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. <laughs> Swindlers and unjust adulterers, and even, even like that tax collector over there. Uh, that's how we often are. And, 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 you know, people hurt us, don't they? They wound us deeply, and that pain goes on and on and on. We seethe in anger, and we seethe in hatred. 
sitting in our high tower of self-righteousness, looking down upon that poor sinner who has done such terrible wrong to us. And instead of pitying them, instead of uh, being compassionate upon them for becoming tangled up in such a deceitful web of sin, we grow in our bitterness and in our spirit of unforgiveness. And so we get tangled in sin's web too. And so again, Jude and and Luke and John remind us that no matter how many victories of faith you've had, no matter how many advances in in holiness you may have experienced, no, no matter how faithful you are, apart from God's grace, you are only weak. Apart from God's grace, you're stupid and you're prone to wander from the God you love. And we've all experienced this. Galatians chapter 6 Verses 1 through 3, Paul calls the saints there to, be, to bear one another's burdens. But then he says, do so in a spirit of gentleness. Why? He says, you need to look to yourselves so that you too will not be tempted. Again, if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. We need to learn that lesson. And that's the lesson that, that Peter teaches us here. He thought that he was strong when he was really weak. And and so on that night, Jesus said to, to Peter, he said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. Now you can see the scene right there on one hand is, is Satan, the accuser making his demands, wanting to destroy Peter, totally ruining that man. But on the other hand, there's Jesus, the righteous, praying for Peter. And see, that's Peter's hope. That's your hope. And Peter needed that hope because when he fell into sin and when he denied the Lord, no doubt the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 10, verse 33, came to his mind, which said, "Whoever Jesus said, whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. What frightening words those must have been for Peter as he denied the Lord. His guilt must have haunted them over the next few days. Jesus' warning and Peter's denial burned and burned in his brain, ate away at his heart. He wallowed in fear and guilt and regret. If only, if only, if only I had been stronger. Or maybe during that time he began to try to justify himself and, and he vacillated from guilt to thinking, well, he was crucified. How could he have died? We hung all our hope on him. Look how he disappointed us. How could we have been so duped. Have you ever felt that way about the Lord? How could he have disappointed me so much? Now we come again to John 21. And and on the quiet shore, the Sea of Galilee, the resurrected Jesus came to Peter and asked him three times, Simon, do you love me? You know, love's wounds are, are deep and hard to heal, aren't they? And it's difficult to believe that the offended party would ever take you back. Peter had blown it many times. But his failings were never denials or betrayals of Christ's love like those three denials were. 
And you can wonder, or, or Peter, you can understand how Peter could wonder how that could be forgiven. Now, perhaps this is a very um, well-known passage, isn't it? And, and no doubt you've heard uh, quite a few studies and Bible studies and, and, and sermons on it. And it often is brought out that in the Greek, Jesus used two different words for love here. The first two times he asked Peter if he loved him, that Greek word there is agapao, said often to be the highest form of love. It's the divine love, agapao. Two times, do you agapao me? But then the last time he asked Peter if he had phileo. That's a lower form of love akin to like friendship. And the idea is that even though Peter said he loved Jesus in the highest possible way, because of his guilt, perhaps he really doubted he really loved Jesus like that at all. And so Jesus was, was drawing him out and, and willing to show him that he's willing to go to the lower capacity However, the, the thing is, the truth is that these two words are often interchangeable. Uh, they're, they're seen in, in other places. For instance, in John chapter 20, verse 2, it said that, uh, that Jesus had phileo for John, but in John 21, Jesus had agapao for him. So again, it, it, they're interchangeable words, really. But the important thing about this whole passage is that Jesus' three questions is... It really falls in this. What was Jesus doing as a faithful physician to restore Peter? And I think there's some really important things here. First off, you know, usually Jesus called Peter, Peter. In fact, it was Jesus who gave the man that nickname, Peter. He was born with the word, uh, he was born uh, with the name Simon. But Jesus changed his name to Peter I mean, to Simon. Yeah, he, Jesus changed his name to Simon, which means rock. Why does Jesus use the term Simon here? Well, I think in part because uh, going, going back to that Last Supper and that, that conversation that Jesus had with him in Luke 22, Jesus said to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has demanded to sift you like wheat. He used that name Simon to, to Peter there. And now, after the resurrection, he uses that name here again to cause Peter to remember that conversation. Satan will sift you like wheat. But that wasn't the end, was it? That wasn't the end of what Jesus said, because Jesus also said, but I prayed for you. And when you are restored, comfort your brothers. And I think that Jesus is using that word, that name Simon here to, to draw him back to that. I prayed for you, Simon. Don't you remember? I prayed for you. Secondly, Jesus didn't use the name Peter because, again, that name means rock. It, it referred to Peter's strength of character. But now calling him Simon, Jesus was pointing to the man's weakness and, and to his failing. You thought you were a rock, Peter. You thought that you were strong and immovable, and immovable, but you denied me. You're really not as strong as you thought, are you? 
and see in his weakness. Now Peter was prepared to see where his strength really rested. Again, going back to that Last Supper night, Matthew 26, Peter said, Even if they all fall away from you, I will not deny you. I will never fall away. Even if everyone else falls away, I will not. And isn't it interesting, the first question that Jesus, Peter, or, or Simon, do you love me more than these? Ouch. Two more times, do you love me? Ouch. Do you love me? Ouch, ouch. <laughs> Jesus had to show him again and again what trust in his own ability and his own faithfulness can do. And is there any hope in that? Of course not. Peter boasted that he would never fall away. If everyone else falls away, he will never fall away. But he did. In fact, he, he denied the Lord three times. He said that he would love Jesus more than anyone else would. But he ran away just like everyone else did. And now Peter is faced to look at himself through those questions. And he's left only to see his weakness only to grieve his inability. And so he confessed, finally, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. See, that's the stage, my friends. He doubted whether he really did love the Lord, but his hope wasn't in what he thinks of himself or what he thinks he could do or what he thinks could be. His, his confession was, Lord, you know all things. You're the only one who really can answer the question. My hope then is, is not in myself. It's not in what I say. My hope is in you and you alone. Do you see that? And, and beloved, when we're seeking to restore a person who is staggering under their guilt, when, when we are seeking to help someone who feels their shame and they wonder if God could ever love them, that God, if God could ever forgive them, if God could ever use them again, we must point them back to Jesus as well. Any trust in your own goodness, your ability, your faithfulness, your goodness, your love, your zeal, your past accomplishments will only fail you. They'll only disappoint you. They'll only cast you to a sea of doubt. Maybe you should have been better. Maybe you should have been stronger. Maybe you should have been more faithful. We don't point anyone to themselves. We point them to the only one who knows all things. Jesus said, you will all fall away. Jesus says, no, Lord, you're wrong. I won't fall away. And Jesus proved right. Lord, you know all things. <laughs> but not only did he prove himself right, remember his promise to Peter, I have prayed for you. And when you have turned from strengthen your brothers, I wonder how many times Peter kicked himself, if only I was stronger, but I'm not. If only I was wiser or smarter, but I'm not. If only I was better, but look at me. I try and I try and I try and I only fail. I have no hope. But as long as Jesus is alive, as long as Jesus knows all things, and as long as Jesus is praying, my friends, you have hope. In fact, do you remember how Jesus denied the Lord, or how Jesus denied the Lord, how Peter denied Jesus the Lord. When the servant girl, or when members of the crowd confronted Peter and said, this man was with Jesus, Peter denied that, said, I do not know the man. 
three times. He said, I do not know the man. I don't know him. I find that to be a rather amazing thing. Because as Peter recalls his sin, he's saying, Lord, I really didn't know you. It's apparent I don't know you very well even now. In fact, I don't even know myself. But you know me. You know me, Lord. It's not that we know ourselves. It's not that we even know. It's that he knows us. Again, doubt lingers in the heart of every saint. We may deny that. We may bury it. Some may be crushed by it. But it's something that we all do need to deal with from time to time. Every sin we commit is a, is a wound of love. It's a stab into Jesus' heart, isn't it? And knowing how you have wounded that tender heart of love, it's easy to drop into dark, hopeless spell. How can he ever take me back when I have done so wickedly? Jesus restored Peter, not by asking Peter, do you love me perfectly? Peter, do you love me as I deserve to be loved? Simon, do you love me purely? I mean, if he asked that question, we'd all be in big trouble. But that's not what Jesus asked, is it? He simply says, do you love me? And he received Peter's answer at face value. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. I like Peter. We, we might be filled with doubt and shame, but like him, we can also confess, Lord, you know all my feelings. Lord, you know my weaknesses and my inabilities. You know that though my love may be weak and imperfect and mixed, you know that I do love you. You know, we want to love Jesus better. We want to love him more completely. But isn't it a wonderful thing of his grace that he will accept even the feeble love of our hearts just as they are. And for each denial, Jesus covers that up with forgiveness and he says to Peter, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. The answer to your weakness and to your foolishness and the answer to your sin is, is not try harder. I mean, who, who in the Bible tells you to try harder? It's the devil. But the gospel says simply, entrust yourself to the one who is praying for your soul, to the one who knows all things. And as we rest on his abounding grace, Jesus fully restores us. I I love the fact that Jesus didn't say to, to Simon Peter here, Peter, Simon, your sins are truly forgiven you. But you know what? You did fail me. And because you failed me, I will never be able to use you again in a place of leadership. You're done as far as that goes. Your sins may be forgiven, but I can't trust you to leadership. No, he doesn't do that. You know, I've known men who unfortunately have fallen into terrible moral sin or immoral sin. and, 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 And though they were repentant, they were told that they could never be in the ministry again. They forfeited that by right of their fall. But that's not how Jesus responds, is it? 
Jesus said, Now you know how deep your sin is. But here, can you not see, Simon, how deep I'm willing to go for your sin? Now take that good news and strengthen others in showing mercy to those who doubt. It's good to be reminded of this story. And, and it's good to remind them also what Jesus said there in chapter 10, verse 27 to 28. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Oh, doesn't it fill your heart with such comfort to know that he knows you? He knows you and all your faults and all your failings and all your sins. And, and we hear his voice and we follow him. And he gives us eternal life. Now, we don't earn it, but he gives it. And we will never perish because of that great gift. We are always in his omnipotent hands. And so, though Satan demands to sift you like wheat, he cannot remove you from those great, powerful hands of Jesus' love. John 21 leads us to see where our salvation completely, totally rests in Christ alone. And therefore, to anyone here tonight who doubts whether your sins or your foolishness can be forgiven, or if you can ever be restored, no matter how far you've fallen, 1 John chapter 2, and verse 2 announces this, If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. Not another, not bulls, not goats, no one else. He and he alone is the propitiation for our sin. And this one stands as your advocate. Satan is a murderer, dressed in the finest linen of friendship. And he makes sin look so pleasurable. Then you fall into it and he wears the judge's robes to condemn you. He's a liar. Praise God. Jesus, the righteous, is pleading for you. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him. Oh, forgive him. Don't let that ransom center die. You who doubt God's love, you who doubt that he could love you, you think you have no hope when he's praying like that? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for such a wonderful Savior and for such a wonderful love that you have for even us. Lord, it is an amazing thing when we consider how we fail you and how we deny you and how we live our lives sometimes as though you don't exist. We don't think about you as much as we should and we don't love you nearly as much as we ought and we don't love our brothers as much as we should. 
And though we fail you, and though, Lord, we sin against you, still, here's the word, do you love me? Lord, what an amazing passage this is. We pray, O oh Father, that it would fill each of our hearts with such love and such comfort to know that there is a God who loves us this much. And as you fill our hearts with love, then, Lord, we pray that you would use us, each and every one of us, to encourage the other. To let them see that love. And let us be used as vessels to re, to re, to display the tender mercies of a great God as you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, beloved. And we'll